passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex, and we got a full cast here today. Matasis, Doug Bowman, Evan Watkins. How you guys doing today? Can't complain at all. Got a new mic, took the money out of Matase's paycheck, so we're good to go. It certainly sounds like it. I don't know if everyone else can hear, but it sounds a little robotic. Kind of tells you how much I'm getting paid over here, but... I want to hear about Doug's weekend. He looked like he had the time of his life on Saturday, so he he should have the spotlight here in the introductions. Yeah, Doug, what you what you do on Saturday? Have fun. We had we had a we had quite a day. Uh, started with an early morning trip to Richmond International Airport. Fine airport, great TSA lines, never too long. Um, flew on down to Atlanta. Got to Atlanta about eleven a.m. Went to the varsity, got a burger real quick. Went all into into old Bobby Dodd Stadium. Nice little place. A lot of funky little corners there. Um, and then we headed over and watched Game Four of the World Series at at Truist Park. After that, so it was uh, definitely a full twenty four hours. I was exhausted on Saturday. Um, if if Evan could send some money from Matei's microphone this way. I need I need that as well after Saturday. I got uh, you. But other than that, you know, it's pretty good. I got game five or game six of the World Series up on one screen. So if I'm a little if I'm a little slow to respond at some point, just 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 edit that out. That is fair. That is fair. But we're happy for you, Doug. You got to go on a bucket list trip, the trip of a lifetime, a trip to Bobby Dodd Stadium to see the Hokies snap their three-game losing streak. And you even got to see some baseball as well. We're going to get to that as Virginia Tech snaps the losing streak, defeating Georgia Tech in an offensive performance that, quite frankly, I don't think a lot of Virginia Tech fans saw coming the way that things were headed here in 2021. Virginia Tech victorious 26-17. The passing game looked better. Malachi Thomas again over the century mark. And for Virginia Tech fans who obviously were not happy with the way things are going, a breath of fresh air. But I'm not the kind of person that likes to put too much stock into one game. You like to look at the season as a long story to be interpreted over the course of time and done so holistically. So, Evan Watkins, we'll start with you. What should fans' takeaways be from Virginia Tech's victory in Atlanta? Yeah, you know, it's uh, looking at it from the the holistic view of the entire season, nothing has changed. I mean, this is 
kind of what what you thought going into the game. I think all of us predicted a win. Uh, you know, I think that it was a game that was very winnable on paper. It was a team that Virginia Tech should have beaten when you looked at it really any way possible. Uh, the ACC as a, as a whole is mediocre. Georgia Tech was a mediocre team. Virginia Tech is a mediocre team. Virginia Tech went and won the game. So, you know, holistically, nothing's changed. Virginia Tech didn't become world beaters because they beat a mediocre Georgia Tech team. You know, the the outlook of the season remains pretty much the same for Virginia Tech as, as far as what they can control and, and what's coming up for them. So, you know, it's it's good to see the offense have some success after really, really struggling. Um, you know, nice to see the uh, the defense do well. Um, you know, see Amari Barno make a couple plays again and just, you know, actually see a complete football game. But, you know, just like I said on the message board in the community chat and just like I'm sure every Virginia Tech fan thought out there, uh, five, six minutes left to go in the game. Virginia Tech has a comfortable for almost any team in the country lead. And we've all seen that story before. We've all seen that Virginia Tech can't hold a lead. So, you know, it was it, it was refreshing to see them do that, to not have to write another story about how Virginia Tech let one slip away at the end. Um, that was great. So, you know, I think uh, I think when you look at it over the course of the whole season, it's it is a, a breath of fresh air to see a win, but it doesn't change anything. You know, this this isn't a game that that uh, sets the tone. This isn't a game that changes the outcome of what may or may not happen to Justin Fuente at the end of the season. This isn't a game to hang a hat on. This was a middle of the road ACC game uh, that looked like it had 500 uh, fans in the stands, Doug being one of them. And, uh, you know, Virginia Tech got away with a with a win. So breath of fresh air, but nothing really changes. Yeah, I, I think Evan covered it pretty well or touched on it there. It doesn't doesn't do anything for you know, Virginia Tech still four and four right now. And, um, you know, beat a. You know, below average Georgia Tech team. Um 26 to 17 it wasn't easy it was certainly up in the air until the third or, or late in the fourth quarter um better offense pretty decent defense but nothing that you know makes you think they're you know suddenly a true ACC contender or you know capable or or I'll say nothing changed about my perception of the next four games you know they're all still toss-ups they're all could go either way um you know i think the the big thing i learned from this game is that it doesn't seem like it seems like virginia tech's players their seniors their their leaders and and, and even the coaches still have enough um still have enough belief and enough enough want to enough you know they they're still invested enough to compete and go out there and try and win games as a team and you know i mean you've seen many many teams at programs across the country that just pack it in and the last you know the last four or five games are miserable and just not a lot of effort not a lot of um 
competitiveness there. I, I think the thing, the big thing I learned was that this is probably going to, you know, they're, they're still in it and they're still, you know, getting after it and competing. So I think you can count on, at the very least, I'm not going to say Virginia Tech is a heavy favorite or that, that these games coming up aren't toss-ups, but at the very least, like, I think the fear of folding and just a really miserable November, I think, is it, it should at least be put to bed. I think they're they're clearly capable of, um, you know, <laughs> trying their best every week and making something and, and at least keeping things interesting. So I want to ask you guys about the offense, because for the second week in a row, we see some progression here. Malachi Thomas, two games in a row over the century mark, the first freshman since 2001 to do so, and the passing game opens up. Big play, Trey, looked to the park on Saturday in Atlanta. Is this the run game setting up things in the pass game? Is this the product of a bad Georgia Tech defense allowing Virginia Tech to thrive offensively? Is it some combination of the two? How do you view this? I think it's a combination of all the above. I thought Virginia Tech did a lot better specifically in the first quarter with their passing game, both of those passing touchdowns. The first one to Trey Turner was a great design. Uh, The throw wasn't necessarily on the money, but Trey Turner was open by 20 yards because the Georgia Tech secondary isn't that great. And then with the second touchdown pass, um, to Tavion Robinson, I thought that was another great play design. Uh, we see now that even without Luke Tenuta on the left side of the offensive line, Virginia Tech is committing to that run-first approach, opening things up for Braxton Burmeister to throw in a little RPO to throw the the zone read in, and then really picking off the Georgia Tech defense when they don't know what play is coming. So, you know, I thought for what it was, the Virginia Tech defense did a lot better. That was, you know, one of the highest outputs in the Justin Fuente era. And I think the biggest takeaway from the Virginia Tech offense was that they had 78 plays, they had 491 yards, and they did all of that in roughly 35 minutes. They completely kept Georgia Tech mostly off the field, and that was really one of the keys to the game was keeping the ball in the offense's hands. There's that late drive that took over seven minutes that was a John Parker Romo ice the game type of kick, and I think those are the types of drives that give you confidence, at least offensively, for Virginia Tech that they're capable of icing the game on their own terms rather than, you know, we've seen it all too often now where the other team is taking advantage of Virginia Tech late in the game. This was another opportunity up nine, and uh, it seemed like Virginia Tech's offense finally uh, put the nail in the coffin on the game. Doug, you look at the running game, obviously, as I just mentioned, two games over 100 yards for a single back. Is this purely a product of Malachi Thomas, or is the offensive line playing better? I know that a lot of people came in concerned knowing that Luke Tenuta would be absent this game, and the line thrived both in the pass block game and the run block game in a way that we hadn't seen in quite a few weeks. I think probably a little bit of both. Uh, again, Georgia Tech's not not a, not a great defense um, by, by any stretch of imagination but i mean you know to have a good running game you have to be better on the offensive line you know usually those first four or five yards are credited to the offensive line um and then and then you have to have a a pretty good running back and you know 
last couple games, it looks like Malachi Thomas certainly has a, you know, a decent, optimistic future. So we'll see. You know, I don't know. It sounds like Luke Tenuta could be back this week. He wasn't dressed out last week, um, but he looked like he was walking fine and stuff like that. So we'll see if that if they can keep it going um, on this week. I've, I think the matchup certainly presents well for it to continue. And I think, I mean, if Virginia Tech wants to keep winning games and playing uh, playing the kind of offense that they have the last two weeks, you know, they've been over six yards per play the last two games, um, which if they, if they did that throughout the season, if that was their average, they would be a top 30 offense. So, which is pretty remarkable. Um, if they, if they can somehow keep keep that turnaround going, and it's on, you know, Malachi Thomas is obviously a big part of that. Evan, in terms of big play, Trey, is this kind of an indictment on the offense in previous games? I mean, 189 yards is a historic performance in the lore of Virginia Tech football. When he came in as a freshman, expectations were high, but he hasn't really at least statistically, lived up to that hype. Are we seeing that maybe Brad Cornell said in this offense we're misusing Trey Turner, not targeting him enough, or is there some other explanation we could see? Yeah, I think Trey has been the same guy he's been since the day he stepped foot on campus. I don't think that he's really changed at all, uh, which is good and bad. Uh, I mean, it's it's good in the fact that he's been consistent and he's shown big playability you know, multiple times a year. Uh, and earned that nickname. Um, but he also hasn't taken that next step uh, and progressed to probably where his ceiling would be. I don't know that it's indicative of Trey Turner that they had. He had the game that he had. I think he's always good for games like that. I think this was a game where they game planned to really get him the ball and force it to him over and over and let Georgia Tech try to cover him. We've seen throughout the year that Trey Turner gets behind DBs. It's not new for him to be open. It's not new for him to be, you know, without anybody within 10 to 15 yards of him. Braxton has just either missed him or not even looked his way. I think this week you saw uh, a concerted effort by the, the coaching staff to make him a true number one receiver. Even though I think he had two incompletions to start the game, even though he had the two incompletions to start the game, they still targeted him over and over. They kept forcing the ball to him, which was good. I mean, Georgia Tech couldn't couldn't contain him. Now, can you do that every week? No, that's that's not something that you can do. But they obviously saw something on film that that they thought they could exploit with Trey Turner and just stuck with that game plan, uh, and it worked out. You know, I think. I think if you go back and watch specifically Trey throughout the season, you'll see he was wide open a lot. It's just Braxton hasn't gotten him the ball or the play was designed to go somewhere else uh, and he wasn't really overly involved. But it's not really new to see him be as open as he is. But it was, you know, I think uh, he, he had seven receptions. I think that was the second time in his career he's ever had seven. He's had six a few times, but I believe that was only the second time he's ever hit the seven mark. Uh, and it was it was definitely looked like they were forcing it to him. And I think it was interesting. Anybody who listened to his postgame, 
I think it was interesting that at halftime he told the team he was going to have 100 yards of receiving and truly didn't know he was already over 160 yards. They were laughing about it in the locker room. But, you know, I think that it's just kind of indicative where he was he was in the zone that game. They forced a game plan to him and supplemented that with Blackshear and with uh, Malachi Thomas on the ground and basically made Georgia Tech say beat our number one receiver uh, and they couldn't do it. So will that continue going forward? I don't know, but I think Trey will be the same guy. You'll see him when he's on the field being open. Uh, now, will it be a, a an effort to make sure he's the top target game in and game out? I don't know, uh, but they definitely game plan for that and uh, really successfully ran that offense. From the approach that we saw in this game and maybe even the Syracuse game as well compared to Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, West Virginia, are we seeing new folds in Virginia Tech's offensive approach? Has Brad Cornelson and this offensive staff adjusted in any way? And on the other side, Justin Fuente says he's spending a lot more time with the Virginia Tech offense in practice. Do you think that makes a, a noticeable difference with what we're seeing on the field, or is it just a change in the quality of opponents? Uh, a little both. I don't know how much, like, like, I, I get that Fuente's spending more time on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know how much, like, how much that can have an impact unless he's, unless he's calling plays all of a sudden or, or, or more heavy handed in the, in the play calling. I mean, you don't practice all that much during the week. You don't especially at this point of the year, um, you know, and, and if he is, if that is the reason Virginia Tech is a good offense, all of a sudden, like what, 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 what was he doing the first, first six weeks of the year? Um, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of, a little bit of both there. I think he, he clearly they've, they've played much better since he took a little more time on the offensive side of the ball, but I mean, he's got plenty of responsibilities every week. So is he just grinding out a game plan with Cornelson every week? That is dramatically different. Probably not. I mean, I don't think you're seeing like brand new plays or anything like that. They just got the ball to their best player more often than not. And they found a running back who can take them over a hundred yards. That's a pretty good, pretty good game plan. Any, uh, in any game so um you know i i i just find it hard to believe that like the head coach can suddenly duck into the offensive meeting room run a couple more um a couple more sessions at practice and then all of a sudden you've got like a two-yard improvement on offense there's a little bit of little more little bit of give and take there with the the competition pittsburgh and notre dame compared to syracuse and at Georgia Tech and, and maybe a little bit of coaching. Yeah, I, I'm with Doug on that. Like, I think I think a lot of people might point directly at Fuente and say, you know, he needs to be more involved. He needs to call plays. He needs to do this. He needs to do that. But at the end of the day, it's his system, right? Like, like Brad Cornelson runs Justin Fuente's system. So even if Fuente takes over all aspects of the offense, the, the playbook is still the same. The, the play designs are still the same. The, the, the play calls are pretty much going to be the same. Like, I don't think we would see any major, any major difference. You know, people can point back to like when Jerry Kill 
came to Virginia Tech, but he immediately changed the blocking scheme and you ran better like almost instantaneously. I can understand that because you're you're just changing the the offensive line blocking schemes and you're you know making you're making a change that makes it simpler for the Virginia Tech line, but you are also making a change that the opponents uh, hadn't seen on on film. So changing that blocking technique gave immediate uh, dividends. I can see that. I don't. I don't think anything. I, I'm with I'm with Doug. I don't think Justin Fuente can walk in there and wave a magic wand and all of a sudden, you know, it's it's a different offense and the team is just performing at a higher level. I think, you know, I think that Justin Fuente could get involved with the offense and maybe let people know more eyes are on on what's going on. He can give some motivation. He can, you know, do some things from the head coach's seat that maybe the offensive coordinator or a position coach can't do. But at the end of the day, this is his system. It was his system weeks ago. Uh, and, it, you know, when, when Virginia Tech played UNC, it was his system when Virginia Tech lost to ODU and lost to Liberty. It's been his system since day one. So is he going to come in and change his system in a week and get the team to play better? No. I mean, it's just, it, even if he's fully taking over the play calls it's still going to be the same offense you, you there might be some a few different wrinkles here or there but yeah I'm I, I'm I'm completely with Doug I see a lot of fans out there saying he needs to call plays and he needs to do this and he needs to do that expecting vastly different results I just don't think that's that's possible this is his this is all his system Brad Cornelson calls his, if, if Fuente wanted to run a different system Brad Cornelson would call a different game he would call a different system. So, end of the day, this is all Fuente's baby, and Brad Cornelson is just the one maybe orchestrating it a little bit. But but Justin Fuente's the the one behind it. He's the designer of it, and and he's Brad Cornelson's calling what he wants him to call. So, end of the day, I don't think Fuente changes anything if he walks in that room and takes over play calls. So I'll ask Matei this, and if you guys feel differently, feel free to chime in. With four games left to go. And over the course of the past two games, we've seen the offensive improvement. Do you expect in the next four games the offense to look more like what we saw against Syracuse and Georgia Tech or more like what we saw against Notre Dame, West Virginia? Hopefully not as bad as we saw against Pittsburgh, but, you know, we'll categorize the good, the bad, and the ugly. Where do you expect to see? I think when you're looking at least at this part of the schedule and playing against Boston College, Duke, Miami, Virginia, these aren't the, you know, cream of the crop defenses. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh is probably the best defense that Virginia Tech has seen in a while. Um, and especially these last two games against Syracuse and Georgia Tech, I think as much as you want to praise the Virginia Tech offense and they have done a much better job, they have also played against worse defenses. And I think there's reason to be optimistic about this offense moving forward. I don't believe that they're going to be averaging 450 plus yards a game. Um, you know, Malachi Thomas is, it, it's really interesting because he's had back to back a hundred yard games, but both of them look different. This one against Georgia tech, it looked like he was just falling forward. Didn't really have any big plays, but he was just consistently moving the chains. Raheem Blackshear has found a groove. Um, they've obviously found something with Trey Turner, 
I think if, you know, and, and Braxton Burmeister this entire time, he hasn't been the most consistent guy. He's not a guy that's hitting every single pass in stride. There's a, a lot of oopsies and, you know, missed throws that he's committing as well. So I think there is reason for optimism for Virginia Tech to operate closer to this standard, especially against the types of defenses they will be seeing in the coming weeks. Evan, Doug, do you guys feel the same way? I think, you know, I think that uh, Virginia Tech really has a chance to, uh, to, to continue to build confidence on offense. You know, I think going into Boston College, I think that you know, Virginia Tech will match up fairly well there. I think Malachi Thomas has been a little bit of a, of a spark. And I think, you know, Duke is a chance where you can go in and kind of continue to build that confidence for your Miami and Virginia uh, into the season showdown. So, you know, I, I, the addition of Malachi Thomas has been huge, you know, regardless of when it came in the season, obviously he still has some things outside of when he carries the football that he needs to work on. But I think, uh, I think he's been huge for changing the focal point of the offense. I don't think it would be beneficial for Virginia Tech to get too one dimensional. You can't go essentially Khalil Herbert 2020 offense where you're just handing the ball off and everybody knows it's coming and just continuing to do it. I I don't know that they can go that route with Malachi Thomas because like Matei said he doesn't hit he, he he may not hit the big play, the big chunk yards that Khalil was doing, but he's the type of guy that's going to grind out a game and give Virginia tech a chance on offense and make, make uh, the defense really respect it. So you, you have a running back that defense can respect. It opens up everything in the passing game. It opens up the RPO game. Um, Braxton has to get cleaner. I know we're very far into the season to continue to say that, but he's been bailed out a lot by, uh, by his receivers in a lot of his passes uh, the arm strength just isn't there, whether that's injury or just who he is. But, you know, I think uh, I think offensively we've seen a big step forward, and I expect to continue to see that because they're not, you know, the hardest defenses Virginia Tech has played are in the past. So I think, uh, I think, I think we're getting close to seeing that Virginia Tech offense maybe being at the best that it can be. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll agree too. I just wanted to say this real quick. Virginia Tech's last four opponents, Boston College is seventh in uh, the ACC in yards per play allowed. Miami's eighth. Duke is thirteenth. Um, Virginia is fourteenth. So the all four remaining offenses are are bottom half of the, or all four remaining defenses are bottom half of the ACC defenses. So you know, I think you can be semi-confident that you know the progress will continue you know i don't think virginia tech is suddenly a 40 point per game offense you know it's a late 20s early 30s is probably where you're gonna max out at putting a little bit of a damper on it here in terms of at least analysis of the georgia tech game itself virginia tech has to settle for was it four or five field goal attempts Five. Virginia Tech has to settle for five field goal attempts. It's been a tale that has recurred throughout the season. Once they get in striking distance, 
the execution just simply hasn't been there. Is there anything we can take away from the performance against Georgia Tech that, you know, would further diagnose what exactly this team is doing wrong when they have an opportunity to strike? I kind of think the red zone issues are completely related to the loss of James Mitchell. Um, Justin Fuente talked about it this week, basically saying they don't target anybody except Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, and and then Caleb Smith and a little bit of Raheem Blackshear. Like the offense, like down in the red zone, the field is condensed, the defense is condensed. And you've got essentially like two targets. I don't think anybody's worried about Caleb Smith. You know, maybe Black and Blackshear coming out of the backfield. You really just have to worry about Turner and and Robinson in the red zone. I think if you if you had James Mitchell as that third, you know, like legitimate, scary kind of threat on defense for defenses. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I think that makes a huge difference. Uh, but with, with they just don't have enough weapons offensively that um, that worry defenses enough to, you know, to, to, to have success down there consistently. I think that's what we that's what we've seen throughout the year. Um, and, you know, that's going to be continue. And, and then you and then you throw in Burmeister, who's not a, you know, consistently accurate passer or doesn't consistently make the the quickest most decisive correct decisions so i think that's that's the main issue when you when you can't when you get down there inside the red zone and you just don't have enough weapons and you have an inconsistent quarterback that's going to be your that's going to be a trouble spot i feel like the offense was the story but the defense obviously put on a decent performance as well do any of you guys have any thoughts on what Virginia Tech did on the defensive side of the ball before we get to Boston College and the bigger picture here. Yeah, I'd just like to say that, you know, Georgia Tech, it's kind of a product of them, but they only had 56 total plays of offense. Uh, They did have 366 yards. The one concerning thing about the defense is I feel like every week we highlight one or two guys that are like the number one player to watch out for for the other team. And that was Jameer Gibbs in this game. And he has 11 carries, 113 yards, um, four receptions for 48 yards, which could have been more if there wasn't a penalty flag thrown on it. So he kind of had his way against the Virginia Tech defense. There were some glaring holes at times. Jeff Sims made some plays, made that fourth down throw, made a throw later in the game that resulted in a touchdown. So they did break a little bit, but you have to say, you know, credit to Virginia Tech for, you know, Jalen Griffin playing in the Griffin Bowl. Um, getting the the strip sack with the fumble. They forced turnovers. Alan Tisdale played a lot better. Amari Barno was all over the field. Um, it was nice to see Nyqui Hawkins play a little bit. I thought he played well. Um, but overall, I thought, you know, 
80% of this game, Virginia Tech's defense played really well. But then there's just the, you know, you kind of scratch your head at letting the opposing uh, team's biggest threat continually get those big plays. And I think that's kind of still the concern with the Justin Hamilton defense. I don't know if that's calling a blitz at the wrong time and just seeing a guy run free. But um, if you can clean that up a little bit more, I think this this defense has potential. One of the things I really liked about watching the defense was how they used Amari Barno. I mean, he wasn't, he flashed for sure at certain times. He wasn't consistently making plays, but he definitely flashed at certain times. But just watching the way they were using him, standing him up, and not just standing him up on the edge, they were standing him up almost like a Mike linebacker at, at some points uh, and doing some delayed blitzes and letting him kind of, uh, spy on Jeff Sims a little bit and keep him in the pocket and keep him contained. I think, I think that was really unique. I like to watch the way that they use him because he's he he's a freak in every sense of the word when you look at athleticism. So, uh, besides that, the biggest thing that I think my, one of my big takeaways that I think with uh, the Virginia Tech defense is Justin Hamilton found a way to keep teams from targeting Dax on obvious passing downs. They'll pull him out, they'll add another DB, they'll shuffle things around, and it has really helped uh, the Virginia Tech defense not give up obvious passing downs. But they need to figure out something with Chamari Connor because, and maybe that's Nike Hawkins. Maybe, maybe they'll find a way, a solution there. But through the shuffling, Chamari ends up typically on a slot receiver, and... I mean, he for when the ball's in front of him, he's a heck of a football player. But when he's lined up against a slot, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean to the slot making that play. So, you know, I think uh, I think that's something that they're gonna need to figure out down the uh, down the stretch, or you know, depending on if I think Jamari has an extra year with the the COVID year. I don't know how many years he has left, but that might be something to figure out in the future. Is how do you make him effective? Uh, when it's an obvious passing down, even if that means bringing him off the field and maybe trying to bring in a different look or a different feel somewhere. But I feel like, you know, I feel like Justin Hamilton's defense has evolved a little bit more. It's fun to watch some of the exotic things that happen. Uh, Armani Chapman finally gets an interception after what one bounced off his chest a few weeks ago, and he's had a couple drops, but he did so on like a fourth down and gave up about 40 yards of, of uh, field uh, of, of territory there, but hey, good to, good to see him get a get an interception and see some of the guys start playing with a higher confidence level. The Amari Barno experience experiment is really fascinating for me. Before we get to Boston College, I will ask one question, and we can go around the horn. Does this have any impact on Justin Fuente's job security? And when I say that, I ask a question. Do you see a roadmap here where Justin Fuente can save his job? No. What, whatever Justin Fuente's outcome is, whatever Whit Babcock decides to do is not going to come down to one game. It is, if it's already, if the decision's already made, it's already made. If it hasn't been made yet, it's not going to be made by one game. So, you know, this whole weekend and week out of everybody thinking, you know, you, you beat Georgia Tech, Justin Fuente has another year. No, that's not true. 
lose to Notre Dame, he's gone. That's not true either. That's not how this business works. That's not how Whit Babcock operates. No, it has no no bearing on one singular game has no bearing on Justin Fuente or any coach's job security at Virginia Tech. So I, I'm not saying the one game, though, but they didn't lose to Georgia Tech. There was talk about, you know, had they lost this game, he might get fired midseason. But now you got four games left. I'm saying is a 4-0 and finish from here or perhaps a 3-1 and finish, depending on where you're at. Could that possibly be enough or is the writing already on the wall? Is this irredeemable? I think the writing's on the wall, personally. I don't think. I think if you go, if you went out from here, go, go to a bowl game and win out, I still think Whit Babcock has six years of of uh, data, of, of real-life experience. And I, I think he, uh, I, I think the damage is done, to be honest. I mean, I, I think it's, I think we are seeing the end of the Justin Fuente era. I think the celebrations after the game against Georgia Tech were telling. I think uh, some of the player interviews after the game were telling. It's a This is a team that deeply cares about Justin Fuente, but I think everybody realizes that the time the time is up. I mean, we're, we're getting to the end of the road here, whether it's uh, he's fired, whether, you know, I think the TCU opening, I think that is very interesting with the timing and with Jerry kill involved and how close he is with Justin Fuente. There's other jobs that are open, opening up around the country. Wouldn't be surprised to see Fuente's agent float his name out for a bunch of those. I think any way you slice it, I think the writing is on the wall, no matter what happens moving forward. Whatever Whit Babcock is going to do, I think his mind is already made up. Any disagreement from you, gentlemen? I don't disagree, but I I just want to fully stamp what Evan was saying. And I've been seeing a lot of people kind of flip-flop and now looking towards an eight and four record. You have a top nine, top 20 recruiting class coming in, and all of a sudden people start perking up a little bit. But I think, you know, the context matters of how Virginia Tech lost the four games that they did this year. And the context matters how, you know, even if they win the next four games albeit one includes the Commonwealth Cup, do you want to go eight and four and beat up on the cupcakes on the schedule, losing the big games, um, and now UNC doesn't even look like a big game anymore? I mean, that's a that's a question for the fan base. What are the realistic expectations for the program moving forward? Because uh, it seems year after year we see these big losses in these big games, and then you know you're beating up against Georgia Tech's Dukes. You know, maybe sometimes even losing to them, but um, it, it can't flip flop if if. If Justin Fuente is gone at the end of the year, then that decision has already been made. It doesn't matter what happens the next four games. I think one interesting alternative to, you know, whether he's immediately fired if there's devastating losses in the near future or, you know, Virginia Tech goes eight and four. I think the best case scenario, honestly, is, you know, Fuente goes eight and four, seven and five, Virginia Tech, Justin Fuente decide to part ways. Justin Fuente can take the TCU, Texas Tech, one of those jobs. 
Um, because I feel like no matter what happens with the rest of the season, there's so much history and you, you're hearing fire Fuente chants inside lane stadium. Like that's not going to change based on the outcomes of these next four games. So I think, you know, do as well as you can this year and then, you know, look at different alternatives. I I think there's always going to be a market for Justin Fuente's highly regarded, no matter how much Virginia Tech fans, you know, dive into things, he he will find something if that's the case. Um, but I think in terms for Virginia Tech, you have to look at the context of what happened this year and what you hope to achieve in the future with this program. All right. Well, without further ado, let's move on to the Friday night clash in Chestnut Hill, Boston College and Virginia Tech going at it on national television. BC. High expectations coming into the year. A great quarterback in Phil Jerkovic, but he gets hurt during non-conference play, and the Eagles, especially offensively, unable to recover. I don't know if they've crossed the 20-point threshold in a winless ACC campaign so far. Doug Bowman, we'll give you first dibs here because you're the preview guy. What do we need to know about the Eagles? Uh, Their offense is really struggling. Um we thought it was we thought Virginia Tech's offense was bad in September and we're talking about a lot and I mean just a brutal October for for Boston College he scored four touchdowns the entire month um which is which is something um you know the Jakovic the in, the the injury to Jakovic just really crushed them um they don't have a quarterback uh, they're trying out. They played two last week. Um, neither of them are that good. Dennis Grossel is the the graduate transfer. He's the he's the experienced guy. And then I think I think they like Emmett Moorhead. He's a six five freshman. Um, if I was Jeff Halfley, I'd probably you know at four and four and four. I think they are. I'd probably start working in the freshman a little more to get ready for future Boston College teams, but. I mean, they can't throw the ball down the field. They have Zay Flowers, who is one of the best wide receivers in the ACC and is re- really, really electric with, with the ball in his hands. But they can't. I mean, they try and throw him the ball down the field. He, they're going to they're gonna take some deep shots, but their quarterbacks just aren't good enough. Um, Pat Garwo is a good running, pretty decent running back. You know, I, I'd say he's probably on like, he's probably on Raheem Blackshear's level, maybe a little better. Um the offensive line is extremely experienced. Uh, they've four of them have played together since uh, 2019, and then the the fifth guy started all of 2020. So they're really experienced up front. Um, if they had a quarterback, this would be a, a you know a dangerous Boston College team defensively. Not that great. Uh, they gave up 291 on the ground to Syracuse and over 300 on the ground to Louisville in the last two games. Uh, they don't get after the quarterback. They're last in the league in sacks. They're last in the league in tackles for loss. Their best player on defense is probably Josh DeBerry, who's their who's a cornerback, but he but he covers the slot mostly. So it's just you know they're decent. Nothing that's nothing that's scary. Nothing that I think you know I think this should be another game where Virginia Tech scores in the high twenties, late thirties, or early thirties, um, and you know, it's a, it's one of those toss-up games that's just going to come down to, like, do you shoot yourself in the foot? Do you win the field position game? 
And can you muster any kind of consistency on offense? I think that's the big thing. You know, I'd, uh, Flowers is the one guy that I think can really, really burn you if you lose him. And, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of double coverage and really bracketing him. And if Boston College wants to try and throw it in there, great. If, if, but, you know, you got to force, you basically have to force Boston College's other players to beat you. And I don't think that's, I mean, you know, four touchdowns in October. I don't think that's remotely likely. Um, you know, I think, I think the concern is if they just go from being, if they go from being historically bad on offense, like extremely bad to just like normal bad and Virginia Tech doesn't, you know, have their best offensive game. I think that's a, that's a problem, but I, you know, I, I get the sense looking at this, that Virginia Tech should win this game um, just based on how, (laughs) how bad the Boston college offense has been. Matei, Evan, keys to victory. What needs to happen for the Hokies' fortunes to continue to I- improve here on the offensive side of the ball in general? What do they need to do in Chestnut Hill on Friday night? Feed Malachi Thomas. I think that that's going to be a key for Virginia Tech's offense. Just keep feeding him. You know, I think that he has, after, you know, the small sample size, two games, he has proven he is the most capable back feed him and 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 try to get some chunk plays out of him if you can open up the passing game open up the rpo game um you know and like uh like doug said zay flowers is he he's a he's kind of buried up at boston college maybe people don't recognize or don't realize that he's up there realize the damage he can do but he's he's a really good wide receiver so that's not somebody that you can you know just maybe just throw a guy like Waller on and and see what happens. You'd be smart to bracket him because he could take the top off real quick. If they can't get anybody to get him the ball though, that's a, that's a completely different different story, but you know, he's a guy that can definitely he could definitely exploit Virginia Tech's defense single-handedly. Um I in fact, I think he has in the past. Uh, but he's a he's a darn good football player. He's a really good wide receiver. So find a way to take him away, find a way to force the other Boston College offensive players to beat you. I think you have a good chance of winning that game. Um, but I think uh, I think this is going to be another big game we see out of out of Malachi. I think I think he's going to be the tone setter um, and just kind of re- revolve around that. You know, let the passing game open organically. Let Braxton run some RPOs, uh, maybe do some zone reads with him, but feed Malachi. Let him let him get the most of the carries. Let Blackshear do some stuff out of the back if he's healthy, and uh, you know, see if you can get, see if you can get the run game lathered up to, to put this one away fairly, uh, fairly easily without having to risk Braxton or, or really do too much in the passing game. All right, let's go around the horn with picks here. Matang, kick us off. Yeah, I think I think this is one of those games yet again that kind of falls into Virginia Tech's strengths versus the other team's weaknesses. When you think about Boston College offensively, they've had 40 points in the last four games. Um, Den- Dennis Grossel, 54.7% completion percentage in those four games. Two touchdowns, five interceptions. That's a yikes. Um, not only that, but... 
you think about the last two quarterbacks that the Virginia Tech defense had to prep for, those were guys that could run. This is not going to be an offense, no matter which quarterback plays, that you're going to need to have Amari Barno as a spy. It's it's really about that offensive line. Patrick Garwo, Alex Singfield, Travis Levy, the three-headed monster, um, and containing those guys. And, uh, you know, I think defensively, Virginia Tech is is set up for success. It'll be a big game on Alan Tisdale and, and Dax Hollyfield. Offensively, I agree. Malachi Thomas, he's he's kind of the key to the Virginia Tech offense. The one thing I will say, he's had 46 carries in two weeks. It's a short week. At the press conference, he was talking about how he told Justin Fuente he was a little banged up, he was a little sore, and then he went on to say, I was a little bit more than sore, uh, but it's okay, I fought through it. And I thought that's kind of telling because you don't really think about it. If all things are equal and he's performing how he's performed, fine. But there's going to be wear and tear. And I think Malachi Thomas is, you know, keeping him upright and maybe not going 20 plus carries all the time, especially in a shortened week. Seeing who else is in the stable that you can kind of bring in there, Raheem Blackshear, is very important. So while he should on paper have another 20 plus 100 yard game, I think you you kind of need to bring some other guys along. Braxton really doesn't need a throw. That's Boston College's strength on defense. Dink and dunk, RPO, establish the zone read. I think Boston College has just been so awful on offense. I think it's going to be uh, Virginia Tech 30, uh, Boston College 17 type game. I'm giving them a lot of points. Um, I could even see it being like a 27-10 type of game. I I I agree with with what Matei was saying. Uh, you know, it's a I don't none of these games are going to be pretty um, for Virginia Tech down the stretch. Pretty evenly matched. Maybe the maybe the Duke game Tech can control that one. They seem pretty done by this point. But um, you know, I think I think Boston College's defense is decent enough to 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 you know clog this one up at times. Um, I, th- I think Tech can still get into the twenties. I'm not, I'm, I, you know, I don't think, I don't think Boston College can get in, you know, more than seventeen points. Probably the way their their offense is going. Um, I, I am looking at the weather. It's going to be uh, a chilly thirty-one degrees Friday night in Boston, um, which you know I think that plays into the hands of a lower scoring game. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Virginia Tech 23, Boston College 17. Um, close one, but you know I, I think I think Malachi Thomas does just enough on the ground to get it done. I don't know if he goes over 100 again, but uh, you know I think they could um, at least at least run out the clock in the fourth quarter with a with a slim lead. Wow, the World Series goes three nothing Braves. Solaire three run homer. How about that? Uh, Evan, finish us off. Yeah, you know, Doug got real excited there. Doug could do an hour podcast on the Braves. We can keep going. Let's go. Um, you know, I, I wanted to look at it uh, because it piqued my interest when Doug said how bad Boston College was over the last month. They scored 13 against Clemson, 7 against NC State, 14 against Louisville, and 6 against Syracuse. So their offense, I mean... <laughs> 
I, I don't think Virginia Tech's defense is world beaters by any chance, but it seems like they can't score points at all. Uh, so, you know, I thought Virginia Tech would split this, you know, the last two, the last week and this week. I thought they would split it, beat Georgia Tech, lose to Boston College. But I think when you look at Boston College's offense, I don't know that they have enough. I don't know that they can put up enough points to beat Virginia Tech as bad as Virginia Tech has been this year. So, you know, I think uh, I think I'm going to go low 20s. I might go. I might go 24. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to give them 17. I might go 24, 13. I, you know, after looking at what they've done the last four weeks, it's, it's one of those, you got to show me that you can get to 17 points. So yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 24, 13 Virginia tech. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Evan. I see 24-14 just due to the offensive incompetence of Boston College. With Malachi Thomas, Virginia Tech seems to have found something. The running game opening up the passing game. The presence of Thomas seems to have allowed Raheem Blackshear to do more. So I like the Hokies sticking to their winning ways against Boston College, hopefully against Duke, and setting up an interesting final two games of the season for Justin Fuente and his staff as they try to I suppose, right the ship in what very well could be their final season in Blacksburg. But gentlemen, any last words before we wrap this thing up? I just watched Jorge Soler's home run. That ball is still going. Holy cow. <laughs> what a bomb. All I got to say is Friday night game, if it's successful for Virginia Tech, you got all weekend to relax. And that's the best feeling in the world. So we'll see what happens. Unless your name is Andrew Alex, who is going to watch the game on Friday night, wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, and drive to Chapel Hill, North Carolina to see Wake Forest take on UNC. Big non-conference game. Big non-conference game, indeed. Uh, But a great opportunity for me to see my boy Chase Muma, who I lived with for a time in college, former Virginia Tech backup, backup, backup quarterback. You might remember him for his fake punt pass. in the the highest pass rating. Highest pass rating ever. Yes, indeed. Highest pass rating. Virginia Tech history. Minimum one attempt. I'm going to get him a plaque one day. Uh, but yeah, he, he's on staff there at Wake Forest. And Dave Kloss and their crew got the team up to number 10. So two birds, one stone for me. That is, Root against that UNC. Is, Root for my is, boy. It's great. That is that is future Virginia Tech head coach Dave Clawson to you. That's future Damn. Virginia Tech coach Chase Moomon to you. <laughs> That's former VT scoop Doug Bowman. <laughs> All right, boys. Well, listeners, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the game on Friday night. Hopefully, more good news to come when we record our next podcast. Until then, enjoy the weekend, enjoy the game, and go Hokies. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.